Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in to this weekly radio broadcast. This broadcast is one of several options that our church currently offers as ways for you to stay connected with the life of our congregation. And so please know that if you're looking for some other ways to connect with us, the best way to do that is to go over to collegehills.org. We can find out more information about our congregation and find ways to connect with us on campus or online. We're currently journeying through a series that we started a few weeks ago that is taking us through this season that we're in, and we are calling the series The Church of One Another, calling the series The Church of One Another. We're looking at different one another passages in the New Testament and focusing in on about five or six of those that have particular relevance to who we're called to be today. And so over the last few weeks, we've looked at different one another passages. The idea of us being members of one another, serving one another, encouraging one another. And today, we're going to be looking about the theme of caring for one another. What does it mean to be the kind of church who cares for one another? And that's really the thing that we want to wrestle with through this series is what kind of church are we called to be when we find ourselves being called to be a church of one another? What kind of community does that make us look like in the world? Our passage today will be coming from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 through 25. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 20 through 25. There we read these words of Paul. As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for these words of Scripture that continue to give us life, to provide light to us as we are trying to navigate what it means to be faithful in a difficult season. And I pray that as we reflect on these words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, that you would provide wisdom and clarity and insight into what it looks like to be a faithful community in our time and place. I pray today that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, and that we would hear your voice and be transformed by it more into the image of your Son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
In the fall of 2010 and in the fall of 2011, I participated in a unique event unlike anything I had ever experienced up to that point or since that point. I was standing in the church hallway one July of 2010 when a friend of mine from college who hadn't seen in years pulled me aside and asked me if I would be interested in running a relay race with him and some buddies from college. Now, at this point, college was seven or eight years behind me, and I didn't really run or do anything athletic in college, and so I was a bit surprised that he asked me, but I also was at a place where I wanted to have some kind of athletic goal to move towards, something to stay physically fit and to keep my body moving, and I said yes without asking too many questions about what exactly this relay was going to entail. I signed up and very soon found out at the first run that we did together on a Saturday morning the following weekend that this race was going to be quite different than anything that I had ever experienced before. The race ended up being a relay race that started in Chattanooga, Tennessee and went all the way until Nashville, Tennessee. Yes, you heard me correctly. The race started in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it went all the way until Nashville, Tennessee. These hundreds of miles that we covered were not covered by just one or two of us, but there was actually a team of 12. There were 12 of us on this team, and each runner on the team had three legs that they would run for a total of 36 legs. And over the course of these 36 legs, a team would move from Chattanooga to Nashville, hopefully in about 24 hours. Our team consisted of a variety of different men and women, some I knew and some I didn't. But to say the least, over those next many months, from July when I was first asked until October when we ran the race together, I got to know those individuals a lot better. I would run by myself through the week, but then on Saturday we would get together. And there was something about the experience that went beyond just me getting my body moving and having some kind of athletic goal to try to stay physically fit that was enjoyable to me. But there was also this sense of community, this sense of team that was new and unique and really compelling to me that also served as this motivating and really satisfying part of the race. And so in 2010, our team of 12 ran through the night. I still remember running down a hill in Sewanee, Tennessee in the middle of the night with no one around me, just me and my headlamp. And I think I passed a deer or two along the way. But there was this amazing sense of satisfaction when we stood together in downtown Nashville, having finished this race as a team. I loved the experience so much. Like I said, this wasn't something that I just did in 2010, but it was also something I did again in 2011. In 2012, I got married, and from that point on, my wife wasn't 
a big fan of me or too thrilled about the idea of me running through the middle of the night down hills in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. And so those two years were my only experience of this relay, but it's an experience that I think about a lot, especially when I think about the life of faith. Because as you probably know, the life of faith as we read about it in the New Testament, is often depicted as a race. Running imagery is central to how the writers of the New Testament envisioned what it meant to be a person of faith. There's plenty of examples we could give, but two of the more well-known are in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, where it reads, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so easily, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And then a second passage, related, but by a different author in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that a race, all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Now the first passage that we read, Hebrews 12, is this powerful chapter that comes right after Hebrews 11, where we read about those heroes of faith by faith by faith by faith. And the writer here plays off of this familiar racing imagery by imagining the hearer as someone who is running this race being surrounded by these heroes of faith. They play off the imagery of Rome and the ancient Colosseum where individuals would compete and they would run through this Colosseum surrounded by cheering fans. For the writer of Hebrews, that's a helpful way to think about what it means to be a person of faith. That to be a person of faith is to be running this race being cheered on by others. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, we have this passage where Paul, again, plays off of this very common athletic imagery of boxing and of racing, and he calls the church to run in such a way that they may receive a prize because, as is the case and as was the case in those ancient athletic games, Receiving a prize at the end was very much a part of the expectations of those who would run a race. I appreciate both of these passages because they draw my attention to something that I can sometimes forget about racing and running that my relay experience reminds me of from 2010 and 11 and from what these two passages remind me of. And that is simply, when we envision the journey of faith as a kind of race, when we 
envision what it means to be a follower of Jesus as us participating in this running competition, it can be really easy and tempting to think of that as an individual kind of thing that we do. But the thing we can never forget about running and racing and competing in competitions is that there's also a communal element involved. There's also others involved in the process of racing. You see, a race is never just something that we do as individuals, but a race is something that we do as a community. I've run a relay race before, as I mentioned. I've run individual races before, 5Ks and half marathons. And in those individual races, it's not really an individual race either. There's aid stations. There's people cheering us on. There's people there along the way to make sure that we make it to the very end. That, to me, is this important and powerful piece about imagery from Scripture that calls us to envision the life of faith as a race. That the life of faith is not just an individual race, but a communal race. That running with perseverance is not just something that I do, but something that we do together. And one of the ways that we're able to run this race together and to finish this race together is through caring for one another. Like I just alluded to, I've run some individual races before, and they have, in every race that I've ever done, what they call aid stations. Stations where you can get bananas and fruit and water and Gatorade and other snacks. Races where you can have someone check on you if you're not feeling well. They offer you aid. They offer you care. It was something that when I did that relay back in 2010 and 11 that I also experienced, that I would run my leg, whether it was three miles or five miles or six miles, and as soon as my leg was over, those team members, those other people with me on that relay team would check in with me. They would ask how I'm doing. They would provide me a a dry shirt and a fresh pair of socks. They would check in on me and provide me care. Anytime I've run a race, whether it's as a relay team or whether it's as an individual, there's always others there offering me care. And there's no way that I could have ever finished any of those races without the care of others. That's one of these important truths that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get at and the Apostle Paul is trying to get at. That we run, but we don't run alone. That we race, but we don't race alone. We need people there. And we need to remember that people are there, offering us care so that we can make it until the very end. It's that second passage in 1 Corinthians 9 that catches my attention a bit more. It caught my attention a bit more this past week because of the passage that I read at the very beginning of the lesson in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians is this really important letter that has a lot of powerful messages, but those messages become even more powerful when we realize some 
major issues were facing the church at Corinth. One of the biggest issues being faced at Corinth was the issue of division. Now, there was a lot of things dividing this church. Some of the division was rooted in status and class between wealthy and poor individuals within the church. Some of the division was personality-focused, meaning some individuals at church gravitated towards certain church leaders, while some gravitated towards other church leaders, and that was causing division. Some of the division was also quite spiritual in nature, and by that I mean the spiritual gifts of the community, which were intended to build up the community, were actually breaking down the community. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is in the midst of discussing some of these spiritual gift battles or divisions that are going on. And what he does is he gives this other metaphor to the church, this metaphor of the body, to remind them about how they are to envision what it means to be a part of the church. That to be a part of the church for Paul is to be a part of a body with many parts. But no matter what part a person may play, no matter what gift a person may have, that those shouldn't be the cause for division, but those should actually be a cause for building one another up. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he reminds the church of that reality of diversity. He reminds the church of that reality of different giftings. And he says that there should be honor given to different parts of the body. And then he rounds off that teaching with this instruction to what? Care for one another. I find the words of Eugene Peterson's rendering of this passage particularly powerful in light of our conversation today about caring for one another. Starting in verse 19, he writes these words, But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? Then he writes this in verse 25 and 26. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved 
in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. I think it's interesting and important that Paul, just a few chapters before, talks about racing as this metaphor for how we understand what it means to be a person of faith. And then just a few chapters later, in the flow of his argument, what does he do? He presents another metaphor for how individuals are to understand what it means to be a person of faith. He talks about the body. And what's important about both of these references, both of these metaphors, is that Paul is actually trying to help the church begin to see beyond just the individual life of faith and instead is offering this larger, more communal vision of faith. In other words, it's never just a race that we run by ourselves, but with others. That when it comes to being a part of the body, it's just a part. It's this larger body that we need to always keep in mind. Paul, writing to this very divided church, gives them these two very powerful corrective metaphors in order for them to see that that way of division, that way of breaking apart and splitting up is not reflective of who we're called to be, but instead we are called to remember the community of faith and the walk of faith and that we have the responsibility to care for other parts of the body to show care and support when things are difficult, and to show care and concern when things are going well because all parts of the body are needed to finish the race well. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend about a health checkup that I was having. And as we were talking through, we were chatting about things that I just knew were going to happen as a part of this health checkup. That they would check my blood pressure and they would check my height and my weight. That there were certain questions that the doctor would inevitably ask. It was just a part of it. But one of the things that my friend had mentioned in this conversation was that some of the questions that my doctor were going to ask me were going to fall on the curative side of his job. And some of the questions that he was going to ask were going to fall on the preventative side of his job. And this person is involved in medicine, and the fact that they used those two phrases made me stop and pause because it had been a long time since I had heard these phrases curative and preventative. And I went on to to ask them to say a little bit more about those two terms, and they reminded me that when it comes to medical care, There's these two big categories. There's curative care and there's preventative care. Now, curative care is typically what we think of when we think of medicine. You have a sickness, you have an illness, and you go to the doctor to receive a cure, hopefully, to see a solution to your problem. And that's, again, what we often think of. I have a problem and they offer me a cure, and that's one way of practicing medical care. But it is that other word that I was really also intrigued by because there was also a preventative nature to medical care that the very fact that I was going to get a health checkup, an annual 
physical was a part of the preventative care that this doctor was also offering. And preventative care is all those proactive things that we do in order to prevent diseases from ever happening in the first place. So it's the blood work that we get done. It's the physical that we get. It's the healthy diet that we try to implement in order for the disease to never happen in the first place. And my friend reminded me that both of these are essential for holistic care from a medical provider. And as he was talking about that with me, I couldn't help but think of that phrase, medical care, and these two types of care that a physician will offer, curative and preventative. And as I was thinking about this theme of caring for one another this week, I couldn't help but think of that distinction, that when it comes to being members of the body, when it comes to running the race with others, Part of our job in caring for others within the community of faith is very much curative. Someone expresses a need and we respond. Someone has a crisis and we enter into that crisis with them in order for them to get through it. There are these moments in the life of a community through crisis and stress and disruption that we reach out and take care of each other when things get difficult. And that's part of what it means to be a community who cares for one another, who cares for other parts of the body. There's a difficulty, a challenge, and we respond in caring, concerned ways. But there's that other side of medical care that I think is also instructive for us when thinking about what does it mean to be a community who cares for one another, that we also are called to preventative care, to be proactive with each other, to not always wait for someone to enter into crisis or to have the breakdown before we show up and step up. That when we think about what does it mean to be a community of faith on the journey of faith, this race of faith together, yeah, there are times where we need to take care of each other in curative healing ways, and there are ways that we can care for each other in proactive and preemptive ways, and we need to think about and consider both of those equally. What can I do to be responsive to the needs that I see around me in the community of faith? And ask the question, what can I do proactively in order to try to help those needs not even be needed in the first place? What can I do to show care in preventative ways and in curative ways? I thought a lot this week about being on the receiving end of these two types of care in my own life. And one of the events that I thought of this past week was when my wife and I began our family. That when we began our family and we had never gone through this journey of pregnancy and having a kid and launching into this new season, there was tons of new stuff being thrown at us throughout the process of anticipating the birth of our child. But what was striking to me was how many different kinds of care we received, that there were those curative cares that were offered to us because we needed 
diapers and we needed clothes and we needed these other things for our child and those were provided for us because there was a need there. And there were also these expressions of care given to us in unexpected and surprising ways through gifts and calls and presents, not just in the sense of a gift, but in the sense of a person being there, that actually prevented certain difficulties from ever happening in the first place. That we were on the receiving end of both of these kinds of care. And as a result, we experienced this amazing and beautiful, holistic community of care all around us. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I can share that experience of being on the receiving end of these two different, very types of care. Because together, they create this very holistic image for me of what it means to be a community who cares for one another. That we are on the lookout for where those needs are, and we're on the lookout to where we can prevent the need from ever happening in the first place. And to me, that gets at the heart of what this means for us as a community of faith, that we're to be the kinds of people who look and listen and learn and respond and reciprocate, who proactively show the care of Christ to one another. And when we do, we will be able to journey down the path of faith a bit longer and a bit stronger. Not because we're trying to do it on our own, but because we're trying to do it together. So this week, I want to encourage you, as I have been reminded myself, to look around to the many different parts of the body and different places and stages of life and to proactively and responsibly show care to the other parts so that we can finish this race together as a community, as we together pursue the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.